time out for people. And in Luke chapter 19, we see that Jesus is taking time out for a man named Zacchaeus. So Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. Why? Well, he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's have a word of prayer, then we'll jump into this. Father, we are so thankful, um, on one hand, for your kindness to us in giving us all mothers. Thank you, God, that something of your grace, your mercy, your life is, is, is communicated to us through them, what grace you have shown us through our, our moms. And so, God, we, we want to honor our moms by ultimately celebrating you, by saying you, you are a great God that you would give us uh, moms uh, to benefit from. So, God, thank you. Thank you for our moms. And as was already prayed, God, we honor them and ask that you would bless them today, uh, that you wouldn't just bless them with necessarily cards and appreciation but you would bless them with something of, of your own affirmation upon their hearts and lives, that they would sense something of your favor, that they would even sense something of your honor, that you care for moms. So God, we, we thank you for them. God, we also want to take a moment to honor you as the one who is the God of revival, that you work throughout uh, history in powerful and wonderful ways. So God, we, we, we just bless you as the one who brings revival. Um, even thinking 40 years back where the Jesus movement took off, where literally millions came to faith because of this amazing work that you accomplished. God, we, we, we honor you, but also ask you for more. God, we're hungry for more of your presence. We're hungry to see Great, uh, greater moves of your spirit uh, to see many come to faith, um, to see something of Acts 2 relived again, to see many brought to faith, to see your name glorified throughout this world. So God, we honor you as the God of revival and ask, uh, God, would you come and do it again? Would you move upon your people in power? And God, even right now, as we jump into this text of Zacchaeus, we ask that you would grant us clarity to see what the true solution to the problem of addiction um, actually is. Where the, the problem of addiction would look as an impossibility to us. God, help us to see the possibility through Jesus. So we ask your help in understanding this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, as I just prayed, uh, isn't it often that throughout the experience of addiction, whether it's personally experienced or whether it's perhaps family or friends that kind of surround the experience of addiction, oftentimes we see addiction as an impossibility to overcome. 
I mean, how many more government dollars do we need to see change brought? How, many more, how, how much more you know, therapy and, and, and more 12-step recovery programs do we need to see addiction undone? And that's not to say that we don't need therapy, nor that we don't need these 12 steps, nor that we don't need government funding. But what is truly going to bring change to this problem of addiction? It seems as though, in large part, this is something that we just get used to coping with rather than actually seeing it transformed. And what we find in Scripture is that there truly is a possibility to what is seemingly our impossibility. When it comes to addiction, as we stare that thing in the face and, and recognize in some sense the, the, the difficulties that attend it, the impossibilities that attend it, is there truly hope for change? And I, I don't just mean gaining a, a, a few uh, days of sobriety. I mean like seeing something of deep and lasting change. Is there a possibility for this? I believe what the story of Zacchaeus shows us is that for every one of our impossibilities in Jesus, we find possibility. All right. Uh, so I want to I, I want to show you. I want to show you from Zacchaeus's life. I want to show you from the text and how he's described that he is described in, in, in all cultural ways to show us that he was the man who, who was impossible to see changed. But then what we find in the text is that true change comes to him. So let's gain some insight to what truly can bring change to what seemingly is impossible in our own lives. Luke begins by introducing us to this individual, Zacchaeus, in the first two verses. In verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho. He was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now, who is this guy? Well, Luke, Luke tells us he was a chief tax collector, and he was, and the Greek is, very rich. Now, a tax collector in this time, he was an individual hired by uh, the Roman government to do just what his title says, which means he was to go out and collect taxes. Uh, he, his responsibility would have been that Jericho region, and, and his own personal salary then was taken out of the taxes which he collected. So whatever amount he could collect above and beyond the tax bar that Rome had set, he would keep to himself. So I, I hope you begin to see the, the, the systemic problems that this lends itself to. He, here Zacchaeus, as a tax collector, would literally carry Roman authority to exploit others for the sake of his own wealth. He was a tax collector. This is exactly how tax collectors then were seen in that time. They were clumped into the same category as the worst of the worst sinners. So even you look through the Gospel of Luke, and oftentimes you will see the title of tax collector equated to that of the most terrible of sinners. Culturally, this is how the tax collector was viewed. He was a man who would exploit, by way of the Roman authority, he would exploit people for his own wealth. Now, for Zacchaeus, he just wasn't a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. He was the guy who was in charge of a crew of tax collectors to see this people exploited for the sake of his own wealth. Now, it gets even a little worse. The name Zacchaeus is Jewish. And at this time, the Jewish people uh, were under Roman rule. What has taken place here is that Zacchaeus has literally joined the enemy so that he might personally benefit at the expense of his own people. He's using, and we could say abusing, his own people to gain for himself this, this sense of power and significance, this wealth that would give him some sort of step up, some sort of notoriety within the culture. 
He's exploiting his own people. He's betrayed his own people. For the Jewish people, this was huge in that day. Like, while the Jewish people had their own factions and divisions, they, they were an oppressed people. And so when it came to the enemy, they stood together. And what Zacchaeus is doing is, is, is solo. He's, he's taking initiative to turn his back on his own people, to partner with the enemy so that he could exploit his own people for the sake of his wealth. Now, when it comes to the experience of addiction, isn't this oftentimes what we come to find? Is that addiction, this this, this desire to fill the needs of our heart, the deepest needs of our heart, we will oftentimes find ourselves eventually exploiting, cheating, stealing, <laughs> manipulating, traumatizing those closest to us in order to gain what we think will satisfy us. We will use and abuse others in order to get what we think we need. Oftentimes, this is the experience of addiction. What Zacchaeus has done, little Zacchaeus, you think about it for a second. Here, here is a man, and, and the text isn't making all these connections explicit for us, but it certainly is giving us a lot of clues that here is a man who is small in stature. He is a small man who now is trying, in some sense, to, to make up for his insignificance by betraying his own people and standing over his people in power. He's exploiting them for his own wealth. He's, he, he, is, he is finding a way to be in some sense on a rung above these people when perhaps all of his life he's only felt the shame of his insignificance. He's going after his own, those who are closest to him, in order to satisfy some need for power and significance in his own heart and life. This is oftentimes how addiction is experienced. We'll hurt those closest to us to gain what we feel like we absolutely need to satisfy the needs within. Now, it's interesting even beyond this. Here, here Zacchaeus seems to be the man who is impossible to see, see changed. He is the worst of the worst, a tax collector, and he is a chief tax collector, and, and it's interesting though but that, that Zacchaeus' name actually means the righteous one or, or it's also translated the clean one. Literally, it, it's meant to, to speak of this freedom of guilt and freedom of shame. But what we come to find is that the way Zacchaeus is living his life is anything but free of, of guilt and freedom of shame. He, he's a man that is, is surrounded in some sense with guilt and, and shame. He's a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. He's betraying and exploiting his own people. He is nowhere near living up to what his name really says. He's a man bombarded with guilt and endowed with great shame. He's betrayed his own people for his own pursuits. Now, it's not only that here Zacchaeus is a tax collector and the chief tax collector, but he's also, verse 2, he's very rich. On, on one hand, what this tells us is, is that his betrayal of his people was not theoretical, but he was truly exploiting his own people and doing it well. He was bringing pain to his own people so that this little man could enjoy something of wealth and significance. He was feeling powerful. He was feeling significant. Um, and, and, you know, during this time right now, there's, many of you are watching the Last Dance documentary. And, and to just kind of illustrate perhaps a little bit of what Zacchaeus was like would be comparable to the man Jerry Krause. If, if, you, if you're watching the documentary, you, you have this man, Jerry Krause, a small man, who has brought together one of the, like he's the mastermind who's brought together one of the greatest teams in NBA history, right? He's brought these 
these amazing players together and they're winning championships. But in the meantime of winning championships, what Jerry Krause then, at least as the narrative, the documentary is telling us, is, is he's feeling like he's not getting the, the, the honor that he deserves for bringing this championship team together. And so what does he do eventually? After he, they've won, after he's still kind of like not receiving the honor, he feels like he's, he's due. Again and again throughout the dec- documentary, you're watching people like poke fun at him for his smallness. Eventually he begins threatening that he's going to tear this team apart. In other words, he's not feeling significant, and so what is he going to do? Well, he's going to ruin it for everyone else. If I can't get what I want, if I can't get the honor, if I can't be significant, then I'm going to ruin it for everyone else. You're not going to be significant either. You're you're not going to get the notoriety either. You're not going to have the power either. He's willing to bring harm on those whom he feels like has inflicted him with shame. In some ways, this is Zacchaeus. He is, in a real way, betraying his own, bringing pain upon his own people, taking away the dreams, so to speak, of his own people in order to satisfy some deeper need for significance in himself. This is what Zacchaeus has done. He's very rich, which is saying he's actually been really good at bringing pain upon his own people. Now, it also then means, we see it earlier in chapter 18, is that when it comes to this idea of being very rich, Jesus has just encountered in the previous chapter the rich young ruler. And Jesus has said in verse 24 of chapter 18, he says how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The the eye of the needle at this time referred to a smaller gate in the larger city gates. In the evening time, the big gates would be shut And therefore, if there were any travelers that came after that time, they would have to come through the eye of the needle, the smaller gate in the larger gates of the city. And if the traveler came with a camel, it was almost impossible to get this camel down and and pushed through this smaller gate. Jesus is comparing that to a rich man entering the kingdom of God, saying a rich man, it's almost impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Well, because his heart is involved in other things. He's thinking that other things will truly, ultimately satisfy his heart. And so what what Luke is assuming is you've already read through that story, and now he's introducing you to Zacchaeus. And not only is Zacchaeus a tax collector, he's the worst of the worst sinners, but he's a chief tax collector, and he's very rich. He's been very good at manipulating the system, in order to exploit people for his own wealth. And Jesus says, culturally speaking, this is the guy who would be the worst of the worst. If there was a person who would be impossible to change, it would be Zacchaeus. He's the chief tax collector, and he is very rich. Now, here's the point. Why, Why are we given a story about this impossible man? Like this guy who is the worst of the worst. He was very rich. It's almost impossible for him to enter the kingdom of God. It's almost impossible to see any change come to this kind of guy. Well, one of the reasons is is we're supposed to read this in a way in which we would see something of ourselves in Zacchaeus. It's not to just self-righteously judge Zacchaeus. It's not just to put him in some impossible category. It's to see yourself in Zacchaeus. Don't miss the point of seeing yourself. You see, it's not just Zacchaeus, who in, in a cultural perspective is too far gone for change. It's to see our own selves, that yes, we are kind of like him. We will step on others in order to gain our own sense of significance. We'll, we'll, we'll manipulate situations. We'll, we'll pursue our own narcissism in order to bring pain to others and it might be pleasure to us. We are just like that. We are, in some sense, tax collectors. We are, in some sense, chief tax collectors. And in some sense, culturally speaking, we are kind of like the very rich, the impossible. We are the ones 
who cannot change ourselves. We are the ones who would be labeled the impossible. We must see ourselves in Zacchaeus. We must see the impossible here. But here's where things get good. If you look at what Luke records in that previous chapter, even when it came to the, to the rich young ruler, Jesus will say in verse 27 of chapter 18, he'll say, what is impossible with man is possible with God, right? What is impossible with man is made possible with God. What the finite things cannot do in us, for us, to bring change to us, oh, the infinite can. That's what Jesus is saying. We can't change ourselves. We can rearrange kind of the the, the idols of our own heart, our own ways of bringing significance and status to ourselves, but we can't truly change ourselves. Who can change us? God is the one who can do the impossible in us. And that's what we see in the final verses of this little section. If you look at verses 3 through 5, we find, as the story continues, Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. Why? Because he's of small stature. So what does he do? He runs ahead, he climbs up into the sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, for Jesus was about to pass that way. Ah, Jesus was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, the text says, he looked up to Zacchaeus and he said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, (laughs) he uses his name, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house house today. What what does this tell us about Jesus? What does it tell us about this God who can do the impossible in us? Well, first, we have to recognize that Jesus sees us as we are, and he comes after us, right? Why has Jesus come to Jericho? He hasn't come to Jericho to just kind of hang out with the religious elite and kind of theologize and have good theological conversations with them. He's not just there to kind of of tickle the brain a little bit with some other kind of religious elite in the moment. He's not there to just kind of, for, for hobby's sake, he's not there for just kind of casual sake, just a little walk through Jericho. He is there to do the impossible in the man Zacchaeus. This is who Jesus has eyes for. He has eyes for the impossible, right? And Jesus comes. He sees us as we are, and he comes after us. Jesus has stopped in intentionally, sovereignly knowing that there is this man, the the chief tax collector, who everyone knows and has felt something of the the pain of his schemes, something of the pain of his work. Everyone knows that this man is too far gone. And Jesus sees him as he is in all his brokenness, in all his backwardness, in all his narcissism, in all his manipulative ways. He sees him as he is and he comes after him. He's come to Jerusalem specifically to do the impossible in Zacchaeus. Folks, this, this is what it's all about. Jesus sees us exactly as we are, and he comes to us. He sees you, folks, in all of your shame. He knows you in your deepest brokenness. He knows all the wreckage of your own life from all your manipulation and all your own narcissism for all all the attempts that you've tried to satisfy the deep needs of your own heart. He knows you as you are, and he still calls out to you, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, because I'm going to stay at your house. He sees us as we are, and he comes after us. He's coming after Zacchaeus to do the impossible 
in him. Folks, this is who our God is. He relentlessly pursues relationships with broken people so that he might do the impossible in them. But it's not only that. We see that Jesus sees us as we are, and he's not appalled. You know, everybody knew, again, who Zacchaeus was. He was the rich chief tax collector. Jesus isn't appalled by it, but who is the crowd? The crowd stands back in these moments where Jesus had called out Zacchaeus by name. The, the crowd's standing back, and what are they doing? They're grumbling about the fact that Jesus would have something of the audacity to go meet with the worst of the worst of sinners, this tax collector Zacchaeus. While the rest of the crowd is appalled by Zacchaeus, Jesus is not. Jesus is moving towards Zacchaeus. Oh, it's not as though Jesus doesn't know who he is. It's not as though Jesus doesn't know all the brokenness and all the pain that he's caused the crowd, but he's coming after this man. He's not appalled by this man. He sees him as he is, and he's not appalled. Folks, you know, in some sense, I think we'd all be a bit offended by this. Just like the crowd, we typically think that Jesus likes us or Jesus is drawn to us because of our own goodness. We, we, we think that, oh yeah, you know, here, here's my litany of things that I've done good and ain't I a good Christian? Doesn't God just kind of pour out his grace upon me? A am I not liked and favored because of all the good things that I have done and accomplished? Here's how squeaky clean my, light my life is, and therefore God must favor me. No, that's not the case. God favors us despite us. He favors us even in the depths of our brokenness, even in the depths of our shame, even in the depths of our guilt, our God favors us. In other words, he comes after us. He's not appalled by us. We must realize that Jesus sees us as we are. He not only comes after us, but in coming after us, he's not appalled by us. He's not kind of holding us back. No, he, he's, he's shortening the gap. He's pressing into us. Not only that, but we also see that Jesus sees us as we are, and he's willing to go the distance for us. You know, earlier in, in, in verse 1, we see that Jesus is entering Jericho. He's making an intentional stop in Jericho, but Luke is, is very careful to say, but they, Jesus ain't just stand here. He's on a mission. He's on a mission to go somewhere. And of course, where is he going? He is going to Jerusalem. And what is he going to accomplish in Jerusalem? He's going to lay down his perfect life that he might become a perfect sacrifice for you and for me in all of our brokenness, in all of our backwardness. Jesus is going to bring about true good news for sinners. He's going to, to Jerusalem to achieve for the sinner what only God himself could do, and that is to bear the penalty for sinners. Folks, Jericho is not Jesus' final destination. Jerusalem is. Mount Calvary is. The rugged cross is. That's where Jesus is going. He's going to ensure once again that the impossible is made possible, that sinners could find true release from their sin, that the hurting could find true healing, that the unstable could find true stability, that true change might be brought to real sinners. Jesus sees us as we are, and he's willing to go the distance for us. Jesus sees us as we are, and he comes to us. He sees us as we are, and he's not appalled by us. He sees us as we are, and he's willing to go the distance for us. And Jesus sees us as we are, not to leave us as we are. Jesus intends to sit with Zacchaeus, right? <laughs> Jesus, liter like, Jesus is literally inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' house in verse 5. 
And the idea of staying at at one's home involves the idea of sharing in life together. What Jesus is saying is, Zacchaeus, it's not just, hey, can can I spend a few hours of rest in your home? It's to say, Zacchaeus, can I step into your life for a moment? Can I step into the deepest places kind of of your life experience? Jesus is inviting himself not just into the walls of a home, but actually into the heart of Zacchaeus. He's saying, let me come to know who you really are, Zacchaeus. Let me share in your life. So that's that's what Jesus is bringing to Zacchaeus. And and while we aren't given all the full details of what goes down in that time where Jesus and Zacchaeus are together in Zacchaeus' home, Zacchaeus emerges from that encounter with Jesus, a changed man. The impossible is made possible. He comes out of that encounter as a changed man. What do we see? Verse 8, he emerges from this encounter declaring Jesus as Lord. He says, behold, Lord. Something has changed in these months. The man who hungered for power and significance is now somehow giving that up. There is another one who holds sway over his heart right now. There's another authority in Zacchaeus' life that he has surrendered himself to, and it is, in this case, Jesus. He declares Jesus as Lord. Something has changed in this man's life. And not only that, but Zacchaeus says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods... I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus has just experienced something of a paradigm shift in his own heart. If if you could uh, think back to a few weeks ago where we talked about we need, as the Bible says, a heart overhaul. That's what Zacchaeus has received. Something deep within has radically been changed. Instead of a man who who is actually exploiting people uh, for his own benefit, what he now is doing is giving up himself for their benefit. You see, everything has changed now. The value structure of Zacchaeus' heart and life has changed. He's immediately giving up half of his wealth for the good of those in need. Like, that, that's not just payback stuff. That's like immediately looking at his bank account and saying, all right, I'm chopping half. All my extra homes, houses, you know, all the extra vehicles that I have, you know, all the extra tractors and plowing, you know, things that he would have had in that agricultural day. Like, all of it, half of it is going to those in need. Immediate, radical change is taking place in Zacchaeus' life. There's been a heart overhaul. And if he, he then goes about restoring what he has taken by four times. He's going to give back four times the amount that he would have taken wrongly from others. So if you, if you want to use kind of the language if you will, of of the rooms. What we find is that he has surrendered his will to another, and now he he is going about the work of making amends. He's actually righting his wrongs in some sense. He's taking accountability for, for the chaos that he has brought about. He's taking accountability for the pain that he has inflicted on others. He's become a man who is now, in some real sense, changed. So so what we then come to find out is, is, is that it's this encounter with Christ that has brought radical change to this man's heart and life, right? He's no longer fighting for this kind of position of power and significance. He's no longer reacting to his sense of shame. You think about this guy. Here's this little guy. I mean, how many, how many times would he have probably heard it throughout his life experience? You know, just people poking fun at his smallness. And, and so even as he has encountered just 
endless shame throughout his life. What, what that oftentimes does within our life is, is that shame oftentimes kind of presses on our pride. We got to do something to silence our shame. We got to do something to kind of gain vengeance. And what has Zacchaeus done? Well, he's turned on his own people. He's exploited them. He's brought them pain in order to satisfy his own sense of shame. Folks, this is oftentimes the dynamic within addiction. You're going to find incredible aspects of pride at work as well as incredible deep senses of shame at work in, in one's heart. And those two tend to feed on one another. It's an interplay of shame and pride that's experienced. We're going to take that up a little bit more next week in detail. But nonetheless, you see this interplay in his heart until Jesus steps in. Something of Zacchaeus' shame has been satisfied. Something of Zacchaeus' pride has been squelched. Something has overturned this interplay. This encounter with Jesus. Jesus has stepped in. And Jesus has made possible the impossible in the life of Zacchaeus. And Jesus kind of puts a ribbon on, on, on the whole thing, right? What does Jesus say in verse 9? As Jesus hears these words from Zacchaeus, he says, Surely salvation has come to this house. Change, transformation has come to this house. For, and then Jesus kind of sums up everything that just took place here. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's one of these humble moments for Jesus where he's putting himself forward and saying, you wonder what brought about the change, this impossible. You wonder what brought about this transformation in Zacchaeus' life. This guy who was too far gone, this, this, the worst of the worst sinners, the tax collector, the one who's brought pain and betrayal to his people. Who has brought this change? Well, it is the Son of Man who comes to seek. Folks, haven't we seen that? Jesus came after Zacchaeus. He called him by name. He knew him. He knew him in his great guilt and shame. He came after him. He came and sought him out. It's the Son of Man who came to seek and to save to do the impossible in us, that which we could not satisfy in ourselves, that which nothing else could actually satisfy in us. Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save, to do the impossible in Zacchaeus. Folks, this story is in the Bible so that we might actually recognize that Jesus has come to seek us out and to do the impossible in us. Where some of you feel like you know, you've endured the, the shame of this life. Like, like last week we talked about, maybe it's that you were born into the storm. You're born into just a life that has kind of torn you apart. Who has brought great kind of soul wounds to you. Jesus says that he sees us as we are. He sees us in our shame. Folks, where we want to kind of protect our shame and we want to build up the walls of our life around our shame, where we want to kind of you know, create different tactics to preserve ourselves in our shame, or like Zacchaeus, try to prove ourselves not to be that kind of shame-filled person. Jesus says, I'm coming after you. I see you as you are, and I want to release you from all of that. I want to release you from your pride. I want to release you from the shame. I want to release you from this, this interplay, this bondage. I want to release you from this endless desiring, thinking that you're going to satisfy something in yourself that only God is intended to satisfy. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to do the impossible.
in us. Now with that said, I just want to conclude by a few simple thoughts. Maybe you go through this, you know, this story, and there's Zacchaeus, and maybe you're sitting back, and, 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 and this, is, this is the way shame will oftentimes kind of work itself in our own hearts and lives. Well, that was good for Zacchaeus, but that's not good for me. You don't really understand how my life has been lived. Well, here's what I want you to recognize. While this seems like a moment of radical change, and it's almost like you'd expect Zacchaeus to never struggle again, the fact of the matter is, he probably did. <laughs> he probably did continue to struggle in different ways, in different seasons, a little more, a little less than others, but nonetheless still struggling with the fact of his own sense of shame. He's still carrying around his smallness. That's not changing. And therefore, the temptation would always be, as people kind of poke fun at him, to, to live in that shame. And of course, then the temptation would always be, well, then I'll just, I'll just live in my pride, and I'll turn on the people who actually care about me, and I'll step on their backs in order to, in some sense, prove my own power and significance over them. Of course Zacchaeus would have struggled. Of course Zacchaeus would have been tempted from this point out in different ways. Of course there would have been failings in Zacchaeus' own life from this point forward. This is not just perfect change. It's not as though, you know, Jesus is just showing up with a wand and now everything, you know, after hitting him on the head with the wand, everything has changed and perfect now. Nope. There's going to be ups and downs, struggles and trials for Zacchaeus. Don't fail to see that in this story. You know, one of the uh, illustrations that comes to mind is specifically related to the 40-year anniversary of the Jesus People Movement. One of the greatest leaders of that movement was a man that many don't even know. His name was Lonnie Frisbee. Lonnie Frisbee was radically saved, but he was radically saved from the moment he was born, enduring incredible physical abuse and sexual abuse until his, into his teens. He was a man that, as he would say in his biography, he talks about how Satan was after him from day one to ruin his life. And he comes to faith in the Lord, and there is radical change that takes place in his Lord, uh, through the Lord. And, and what then happens is God utilizes him specifically, and it's mysterious as to why God would utilize him in such incredible ways. But it, it's been said that millions of souls were led to Christ through Lonnie's ministry. Lonnie would ask the Holy Spirit to come and to work in a meeting and with incredible anointing, the Holy Spirit would come and accomplish things in meetings that, that people had been praying and yearning for for years and years and years. In other words, what I'm trying to say is Lonnie Frisbee was radically saved, similar to that of Zacchaeus. His life became almost immediately fruitful in seeing hundreds and thousands, and, and kind of the, the network of that move was millions of souls brought in to the kingdom through Lonnie's ministry. And yet later in life, what we find is Lonnie's, Lonnie had numerous failings. Failings that he recognized, failings that he actually said, you know what, I, I never really did deal with the depths of the shame that my life went through before coming to Jesus. I never saw those particular issues kind of reconciled. I never brought those to Jesus. It really gave him kind of a fine-tooth kind of comb to work through in order to bring something of stability and security to my life. One of the reasons why you don't hear of Lonnie Frisbee's name is because of his failings later in life. So folks, it's all to say this. Don't think that just because there's radical change in Zacchaeus that he is a man that, okay, no longer has any trials or troubles. Like Alani Frisbee, there may be incredible life change. There might be incredible, fruitful ministry that comes through that change. And yet, there will again be temptations and struggles that will be experienced through life. When Jesus saves us, it's not about perfection, it's about direction. Will you not only surrender your shame to him as you come 
uh, to faith in him, but will you continue to surrender that shame to him? Will you continue to have like th- th- that sense of shame spoken to by the truth of God's word? Will you continue to kind of lay that shame at the feet of the cross? Will you continue to inform that shame with the truth of God's promises? Same thing for our pride. Will we continue to do what Zacchaeus does and surrender his will to the Lord? That's that's not just a a moment in time. That's now a progression of understanding, okay, daily i got to submit my will to the Lord in every temptation and in every circumstance. Am I continuing to cry, cry out, Lord, 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 giving my will over to him? Folks, when it comes down to it, When it comes to this saving reality, Jesus doing the impossible in us, it doesn't just mean this magical change that takes place. It's a relationship. (laughs) That's magical in itself. While, While we still face temptations, it's no less true. It's no less true that Jesus truly has entered into our lives to truly undo our shame to accomplish in us what we could never accomplish in ourselves. He, he, he truly steps in to bring us a, a real uh, acceptance that is only found through Jesus, despite all of the brokenness that we uh, feel and know. He's the one who does still bring a true satisfaction to our guilt, a true healing to our hearts. Well, it's not as though it's this magical change that takes place. It's no less a real radical transformation that happens in our lives, where we encounter something of the love and kindness and beauty and faithfulness and mercy of Christ. So when it comes down to it, does the life of addiction seem impossible? I'm sure it oftentimes does for those in the throes of addiction, as well as for those who stand by trying to give care and help. Does the life of addiction seem impossible? Does our shame and pride seem all too much for us? Is the wreckage of the past just kind of always haunting us? Is there any hope in all of this? Is there any possibility in these impossibilities? Well, not for this one who promises to come after us, who promises to not be appalled by us, who actually will go the distance for us, and who promises to never leave us as we are. The question this morning, whether it's your first time or whether it's the thousandth time, will you give yourself to the one who alone can do the impossible in us? Let's pray together. Jesus, we are so thankful for this particular story. And we're thankful for this particular story because... It's your heart's desire that it would map onto our own stories, that we would see ourselves, yeah, as as impossible, and yet not impossible for you. Thank you, Jesus, that you constantly seek us out. Thank you, Jesus, that you see us in all of our brokenness, and all of our shame, and all of our mistakes, and all of our sin. And you're not appalled. You don't hold us at a distance. Thank you that you come after us. You go the distance for us. And you intend to never leave us as we are. God, I pray right now, even for those suffering from deep, deep shame, whether it's the wounds that have been inflicted upon them, or God, whether it's them seeing, well, I've failed again, I've failed again, I've failed again. 
Once again, Jesus, you see us as we are. And you're not appalled. Thank you that you say, bring all your brokenness and all your weariness to me. Thank you that we don't have to sit in our shame, but there's actually somewhere to take it. Thank you, Jesus, that what you did on that cross was not just kind of some religious act, but it was specifically for us by name. Thank you, Jesus, that you hung on that cross, suffered physical abuse. Thank you that you are going, you are willing to go to that cross even in nakedness. suffer to suffer incredible shame and to do so for us so that we have a place to take our shame God thank you that on that cross you died to not only satisfy for us our shame to give us a place to take it but also our guilt where we've failed again where we've been like Zacchaeus, where we've burned our bridges, where we've ruined relationships for the sake of our own pursuits. Jesus, thank you that you have abundant forgiveness. So I pray, God, even right now, that you would step into the shame that folks are feeling, and I pray that in power you might silence the enemy who would continue want to, to accuse us. When you, when you say, Jesus, the debt is paid, the enemy will often say, no, it's yours to carry. It's your shame to carry. It's your failings to carry. Jesus, let the lies of the evil one be seen for what they are. Jesus, we, 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 in your authority, we tear down those lies and we announce the truth that you freely and wonderfully forgive, that you truly do seek out and save those who are lost. Jesus, we, we lift your name high. Jesus, I pray that you would grant great grace in these moments to those who are struggling with their shame. And God, I also pray for family and friends that are trying to tend to those who are struggling. I pray, oh God, that you would grant them something of your own grace to care for others in the process of change will inevitably mean changing ourselves. Where oftentimes we find ourselves tempted to be like the crowd, just looking down saying, this is, this is ridiculous where oftentimes we see these things as, as being impossible to see change come to them. Spirit of God, let us see Jesus. Let us see how his hands and feet worked in the midst of impossible situations. Let us see how loving, how forgiving, how kind he was. How faithful, how constant that he went the distance for us. And God, for those who are, who are tending for folks struggling in uh, the depths of addiction, we also ask then that there would just, that Jesus would be the answer. That Jesus would be the answer. Yes, there's going to be other, other uh, aspects of help and grace to be received. But let it be Jesus. Let it be Jesus. Let it be Jesus. Let their hearts kind of lean into Jesus again. And when they feel like they don't have the strength to continue the next day, let it be Jesus. May he provide the strength. May he kind of be the shoulders upon which these great burdens are carried. Jesus, we look to you. May you be our answer. Do the impossible. Do the impossible. We look to you. Jesus, we love you, we honor you, and we just, we just say you are the God of the impossible. Thank you that you are the God of the impossible for our sake. How good you have been to us. It's in Jesus' name.
in your good name that we pray. Amen.
Well, folks, um, a few things before closing up. Uh, if you have questions about this, maybe you're kind of like in the throes of addiction, or maybe you find found yourself just kind of like, oh man, I, I, I've I've failed again. Like, make sure you're reaching out to someone, uh, especially during this time where where Corona is kind of keeping us apart. We we fail to uh, kind of benefit from the accountability that we would have together. So if you're feeling the struggles, or maybe just the the past is just kind of coming up again, I'd encourage you to find someone that you can talk to and interact with that you can that you can trust and and begin to just kind of confess what's going on in your own heart and life. Again, where God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He sees us as we are, and he's eager. He's eager to see change brought to us. And so uh, don't hesitate. Uh, If you're just in need of prayer, make sure you you either email us or call us, text us, or even in the comments, include that. Those, Those are not just kind of like, bygone comments. Those are uh, things that we take time to press into the Lord and intercede uh, for you about. So uh, please, please do that. By way of benediction, though, from Ephesians chapter 3, it says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We love you guys. We miss being together, but may God bless you. Grace and peace to you all. Till next time. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. Dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every is covered in his blood support me in the overwhelming flood when all around my soul gives way he then is all my hope Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is Right.